Let me invite us to listen now to our second reading, which comes from 2 Kings, the fifth chapter, the first 19 verses. Listen for God's word for us. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from a skin disease. Now the Arameans on one of their raids had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel and she served as Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he could cure him of his skin disease. So Naaman went in and told his Lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his skin disease. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life that this man sends, me, uh, sends word to me to cure a man of his skin disease? Just look and see how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away saying, I thought that for me, he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and would have waved his hand over the spot and cured the skin disease. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached him and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, you would have done it. How much more when all he has said to you was wash and be clean? So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, and according to the word of the man of God, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. He came and stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Please accept a present from your servant. But he said, as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will accept nothing. He urged him to accept, but Elisha refused. Then Naaman said, if not, please let two mule loads of earth be given to your servant. 
For your servant will no longer offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any God except the Lord. But may the Lord pardon your servant on one count. When my master goes into the house of Remen to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow down in the house of Remen. When I do bow down in the house of Remen, may the Lord pardon your servant on this one count. And Elisha said to him, go in peace. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Holy wisdom, holy word. In my judgment, Naaman, the Syrian general, experiences one of the most remarkable moments in the entire Hebrew Scripture. And in addition to that, he is healed of a skin disease. Naaman is a commander of the Aramean or Syrian army. He's Israel's enemy. In battle, Naaman had been victorious, but Naaman had a skin disease, perhaps leprosy. Naaman goes to great lengths to find healing to no avail, but along the way he discovers that Yahweh, the God of Israel, can change his life. Naaman is sent to Israel carrying a letter from the king of Aram. He greets the king of Israel. It's an unhappy circumstance for this king, for he can't heal skin diseases and assumes the more powerful Aram king will hold him responsible for a failure. He tears his clothes, a sign of grief and death. He's in a bind. That is until... Elisha, the prophet, summons Naaman to visit Elisha. So Naaman arrives with his entourage, his horses and his chariots, and Elisha doesn't even come out of the house. He just sends the butler. He just sends Bates out to, to, to greet the, 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 uh, the general and says, gives instructions, go wash in the Jordan seven times. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Naaman is offended. I thought for me, he would come out. He would say a shazam or two. He'd sprinkle some wolfle dust. He'd wave his hand over the spot and would, and would cleanse me. In spite of Naaman's enemy status and in spite of his arrogance, he is healed. When God chooses to show blessing, being the enemy of God's people is no barrier. The love of God can be offensive that way. Grace is always extended to those who are imperfect. But here's where the story gets interesting to me. Naaman, now healed, must return to Syria before he goes home, he says, now I know that there are no other gods save the God of Israel. But then he asked for something strange. He said, would you mind if I take two mule loads of dirt back home with me? 
You see, Naaman has a problem. Naaman has had an experience of God which has changed how he sees the world. But the part of the world in which he lives, the part of the world which he calls home, is Syria. He is Aramean. Syria has always been home. And yet his experience of God has changed his worldview so that what he has heretofore assumed to be home no longer completely feels at home. So before he goes back to Aram, he needs some dirt, a little holy ground. We don't know what he did with this dirt. I don't know if he uses the dirt to set up space for an altar. I don't know if he scatters it around the neighborhood trying to create a holy zip code. I don't know if he sprinkled a little in his shoes each day to remind himself that he's walking on holy ground. What seems clear is that his faith has changed what he thinks is home. Stick with me. I think sometimes the clearer we get about the life of Jesus, the more we understand about what Jesus calls us to do and to be, the less we feel at home in this world. Jhumpa Lahiri's wonderful novel, The Namesake, she tells of a Bengali family who immigrated immigrate to the U.S. They leave what was home and try to discover home in a new land. Instead, they discover a sense of homelessness. As over time, they learn that there is too much Bengali in them to be completely at home in America. But then surprisingly, they absorb enough America in them that they no longer feel completely at home in the old country. Ashima, the mother of this family, describes her new life this way. Being a foreigner is sort of a lifelong pregnancy, a perpetual weight, a constant burden, a continuous feeling out of sorts. It is a parenthesis in what had once been ordinary life only to discover that previous life has vanished, replaced by something more complicated and constantly demanding. I wonder if Naaman would describe his new life this way. He has discovered God but realizes that the world in which he lives doesn't align with the ways of God. He can neither deny the ways of God nor deny the ways of his home country, his culture. This tension comes to a point in a shocking to me, shocking moment in the text. He pleads with Elijah, when I go back, I will have to escort the king into worship. When I go back, I will have to escort the king into the sanctuary of Rimmon, the god of Aram. And when I bow down before the god of Aram, 
may the Lord pardon your servant on this one count. Do you hear what he's asking? He is saying, these are my people. But my faith means I do not fit with my own people the same way. I must live with them, but I no longer fit with them. So when I go back and my life fails to show the difference that my faith has made, when my life fails to show the fidelity of God that I know God requires, when I go and live where everyone else is worshiping another God, can you pardon me for being there? Hebrew Bible scholar Dr. Richard Nelson says that Naaman is a man threatened by his faith. He needs pardon for a compromise he knows to be imperfect. When Naaman requests this pardon, we might expect the prophet to quote the commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. We might expect the prophet Elijah to quote the Torah, you be holy as the Lord your God is holy. But in one of the most amazing moments of all Hebrew scripture, the prophet of God says, go in peace. Go in peace. God's grace extends to the imperfect. God's grace includes the compromised. I think this is the honest spiritual struggle for you and for me. Sometimes the clearer we get about God's call in our lives, the more complicated our lives become because the culture we assume to be home is no longer home for us. I think like Naaman, we all live in the shadow of the house of Rimmon. We all live in a world that is so different from the life that Jesus talked about that it seems God is a long way away from time to time. So we all need a little holy ground a little dirt sprinkled in our shoes to remind us how we are to walk in this world. I have a friend, John, he runs his own business. He's quite successful. He told me once, he said, Tom, I love coming to church. I love it. It's inspiring to me. It's grounding for me. But then I leave. And I go about my life through the week and the things that we talk about on Sunday morning seem so far from the world in which I live. It seems like I'm living in two different worlds. He said, I'm trying to figure out how to bring faith with me to work. I think he's saying, I need two mule loads of dirt. I do too, by the way. All of our lives of faith are a compromise. In these early weeks with you, I remembered a moment in my early weeks at Village Church. I 
was desperately trying to learn names and faces. It was a struggle. On, on this particular day, I, I, remember, I remember I was called to go make a hospital visit to someone who I did not know. I had not been there long enough, but I was driving to the hospital, and, and I was on a schedule, and I drove past an Ace Hardware. And when I saw the Ace Hardware, I went, oh, there's, there's where the hardware store is. And it reminded me that I needed some wood screws for a project at house. So I really didn't have time, but it's right there. So I stopped at the Ace and I went in to get a box of wood screws and I got them and I waited in the checkout line and I got up to the register and the little barcode on there, it, it, it was smudged. And so she couldn't, she couldn't read it. She says, I'm sorry, I can't read it. I said, it's 329. She said, I, I can't read it. I said, but it's 329. She said, but I, ca I can't read it. You better go get another one. So I went back and I got another box and I came back and waited in line again and got up and there was a tear in the box. And she said, you know, I'm afraid you might not have all the wood screws that you, you, should, go, you should go get another box. So I, for a third time, I go and I get a fully intact box with as far as I can tell, a clear barcode to scan. And I go up and she scans it and she says, that'll be 329. And, <laughs> and then that little paper that, that spits out with your, that paper needed to be changed. She said, this will only take a minute. She's a bit optimistic about that. And, and so finally, she, she hands me, she hands me uh, my paper, and she says, have a nice day. And I, 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 we don't know each other that well. I really shouldn't be telling you these things about me. But, but I said, I'll try with what's left of it. And then she said, see you Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I was so happy about that. <laughs> the ways of Jesus are not our ways. We all live in the shadow of the house of Remen and the life of faith we offer is always a compromise. It was Senator John Danforth, previous senator from Missouri, and an Episcopal priest. In his book, Faith in Politics, he talked of a time he attended a noontime Ash Wednesday service. It's a meaningful service. He left the sanctuary with the smudge of ash on his brow. He was returning to work, I think, in the Senate at the time, and he said as he reached his car, he took a handkerchief and removed the ash. Uh, the people back at the Senate building, they would know what that was. Many of them Christian themselves. But Reverend Danforth said he was a little embarrassed to carry the ash from the sanctuary to the Senate building. But he said as soon as he removed it, he was more embarrassed that he had been embarrassed to carry the ash. Do you know what it's like to sometimes be caught in that tension? Naaman realizes that this is what grace does to us. It reorders what is important in our lives, and we no longer fit easily in our culture, and we discover once grace has touched us, we aren't at home anymore because our home is that promised day that, God, that Jesus talked about, and we aren't there yet. 
So we must make the best choices we know to make, even recognizing they are imperfect, that our faith always lives as a compromise. This last moment, and then I'm through. Sue Monk Kidd's book, The Secret Life of Bees, narrates the life of sisters, all named after the warmer months. Might be good to read during winter. August is the matriarch, May is the most in need. These wonderful women welcome into their home a 14-year-old runaway named Lily. They live in a house that is pink, and one day Lily asks August about it. How come if your favorite color is blue, you painted your house pink, Lily asked. August laughed. That was May's doing. She was with me the day I went to the paint store to pick out a color. I, I had a nice tan color in mind, but May latched onto this sample called Caribbean Pink. She said it made her feel like dancing a Spanish flamenco. I thought, well, it's the tackiest color I've ever seen, and half the town are going to be talking about it. But if it can lift May's heart like that, I guess she ought to live inside it. All this time, I just thought you liked pink, Lily asked. August laughed again. You know, some things don't matter that much, Lily, like the color of a house. How big is that in the overall scheme of life? But lifting a person's heart, now that matters. The whole problem with people is, Lily interrupts, they don't know what matters and what doesn't. August replied, I was going to say the problem is they know what matters, but they so seldom choose it. I love May, but it was hard to choose Caribbean pink. The hardest thing on earth is choosing what matters. I think what we are doing here is reminding ourselves of what matters and trying to encourage one another to choose it. Week after week, what we're doing here is trying to learn how to carry a little holy ground from Jesus back into our lives. Following Jesus means we look at our world and realize we are not home yet. We live in a particular zip code, but grace has sprinkled holy ground from another kingdom in our shoes and it makes us walk differently. Name and ask, may the Lord pardon your servant who lives a necessary compromise. And in the most amazing moment in the whole Hebrew Bible, the prophet of God said, go in peace. Honesty is always welcomed here, so let's be honest. Our lives are a mix of faith and fear, of blessing and burden, of fidelity and failure. The lives we offer God will be a compromise, but choose the best you know how to choose. And remember that grace is offered to the imperfect, to the compromise. Remember that and go in peace. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe, help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray, amen.